Welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma, and I am so glad to welcome you to the show if this is your first time, and welcome you back to the show if you are a regular listener. If it's your first time, please make sure that you subscribe to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform so that you can keep up with all of the great episodes that are going to be releasing. And if you are returning Welcome back. I am so grateful to you for your support over the years. If you are so inclined, please check out my Patreon account and consider signing up. Just for a few dollars a month, you can help keep Christian Historical Fiction Talk going for another 100 episodes and maybe beyond that. We are going to move into our interview now with Kim Vogel-Sawyer. I have known her for a long time, pretty much since I started writing and started getting into Christian fiction and going to conferences and things like that. I got to know her, worked with her on a project that never got picked up, unfortunately, but I am so thrilled to be able to catch up with her. And we're going to be here talking about her new book, Still My Forever. It is so classically Kim Vogel-Sawyer. If you love her, if you love her writing, you will love this book. There is no doubt in my mind about it. So please join me in welcoming Kim Vogel-Sawyer to the show today. Welcome, Kim. It is so good to have you with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to visiting with you. And I have been looking forward to this visit for quite some time. I saw that you had this new book, Still My Forever, coming out. I have loved you since you started writing, pretty much. And so I really wanted to be sure to get you on. So it's my pleasure to have you with us today. Well, thank you so much. Why don't you start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, in a nutshell, I'm a former elementary school teacher who always dreamed of being a writer, and I got to see my dream come true. (laughs) I'm also a a wife to a former military man. He's retired from the Air Force. I'm mom to three adult daughters who gave me 10 of the most amazing grandchildren in the world. When I'm not writing or chasing around with my grandkids, I am very active at church and I enjoy quilting and sewing and petting my cats and packing Operation Christmas Child boxes. My mom always said I had no sit in me. I like to stay busy, and that's not a bad thing. Not at all. And it sounds like you don't have any sit in there. I'm surprised (laughs) you have time for all of that and the energy for all of that. makes me tired just sort of hearing about everything that you do because you keep writing all of these wonderful books and between everything that you do. Now, you mentioned that you do some quilting and other things like that. I have found in speaking to authors over the past couple of years on this podcast that so many of us aren't creative just when it comes to writing, that we do other creative things like sewing and quilting and painting. And I like cake decorating. Do you find that too, that we creatives need more than one outlet for all the creativeness in us, for lack of a better word? <laughs> I think so. I, You know, the writing is great. It's hanging out with my imaginary friends and I totally love it. But sometimes it does me a lot of good to step away from it and just indulge in some other creative outlets that maybe exercise a little different part of my brain. And it, it puts me back in the mood then 
to write again, just not using that creativity. I, I mean, God, God the creator, <laughs> right. created us to be creative. So yeah. I think everyone has those outlets. But I, I, I don't know. There's something about writers. I do think they have tend to have more than just one type of outlet. Let's talk a little bit about Still My Forever, the title I love. I think that's a fabulous title. Tell us a little bit about the book. Well, I'll tell you about the book, but can I tell you about the title first? Yes, please do. I'm so tickled that they use this title because when I started the story, I knew that my hero was going to be a musician, and I knew he was going to write a song for his heroine. And I have a brother who is just an incredible composer. So I set him to work creating a song. And then my oldest daughter is an amazing poet. And so I asked her, would you put together some lyrics for this song? And so the two of them made this song. It's Ava's song or Whither Thou Goest is the subtitle. But Still More Forever comes directly from the lyrics of the song. So the title my daughter came up with without realizing she was doing it. The publishers just pulled that little snippet from the lyrics to be used as the title. And it is perfect in so many different ways with the stories. I'm just very tickled with that. It's fun to have that many different people in my family involved with it. Oh, sure is. As I said, Gil is a composer. The, the little tagline on the back of the book that the publisher used is, Can a frustrated composer find new inspiration with the woman who once made his heart sing? And I really like this, but I've always thought of this as my, <laughs> the music man meets Mr. Holland's opus story. <laughs> <laughs> It, it was inspired by a little snippet I saw on a Facebook post from the Inman Historical Museum in Inman, Kansas. It showed a picture of a group of boys in uniform with different instruments. And there was a man named Paul Crabb who came from New York in 1905, settled in little tiny Inman, Kansas. Can you imagine the transition? And he ended up starting a youth band there that became very, very popular in the state because the average age of the band players was 12, just almost unheard of. Well, that just captured my attention. And so Gil is a young man who has all these aspirations to become a famous composer and conductor. And he goes to New York to make his mark in the world and dismally fails. So he has come back to his small town in Kansas and the, the woman that he left behind to pursue this dream because she wasn't willing to go away and is trying to kind of lick his wounds, find himself, finally write a piece of music that will capture the attention of the music, the elite in New York. And, you know, as so often happens, we make our plans, but God directs our steps a little differently than what we anticipated. Oh, yeah. And so that, that's the story in a nutshell. It's Gil finding his place where he's really meant to be and Ava finding the courage to follow what God is guiding her to do. It's beautiful and such a wonderful book. We're going to talk about a word that people keep using to describe it in just a little bit. But I want to ask you, because I've read a lot of your books, 
and Kansas keeps popping up in them. And I think that's for obvious reasons. And Mennonites keep popping up in your book. Why Kansas and Mennonites? Well, they say, write what you know. That's my history. My dad's family settled in Kansas, moved from Russia in 1872 and settled in Kansas. So the Vogels have been here for you know, more than 100 years, 150 years now, if I'm doing my math right, I'm not good at math. Um, (laughs) And my mother's background is Mennonite. They also came from Russia in 1872, came for religious freedom. So when I write Kansas and I write the Mennonites, I'm really incorporating both sides of my family history. And it's fun to showcase that a little bit. I also think Kansas is one of those states that people just drive through. They don't, I mean, we don't really have people come to visit here. We don't have all the tourist attractions and so forth, but it's a fantastic place to live. And so it kind of gives people a little bit of information about the state that I've called home my entire life. Oh, that's really neat. One thing that did strike me when I was reading the book, and I had to make sure that I had read that correctly, and you've just confirmed it, was that the settlers of this little fictional town which I can't pronounce. How do you pronounce the name of that town? It's Falka. It's, it's German for falcon. So it's Falka. Falka. The town of Falka was settled by Russian Mennonites. I didn't realize there were Mennonites in Russia. So that was something that I learned reading the book, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. Well, initially they weren't in Russia. They were invited to Russia in the late 1700s by Catherine the Great. They were really good farmers. And Germany was putting a lot of pressure on them to conform with their religion. And so Catherine the Great invited them to have religious freedom in her country if they would grow wheat. So that was how we got into Russia, settled along the Malachna River and I mean, really did a fantastic job of taming the plains and, and growing wheat. But then, you know, how government changes over time. And within 100 years, the, the pressures for religious adjustments again, <laughs> um, not being able to govern their own colonies and being forced to send their sons into military duty and, and not be able to worship freely. Those pressures came again. And that's why then they came. To the United States. So we, we call them Russian Mennonites, but they were originally from Germany. There's a little brief history lesson, I guess. <laughs> that's great. That's perfect. We love history lessons on here. And that's why <laughs> the listeners listen and why I do this, because I, so many of my readers tell me that they read Christian historical fiction, a lot in part to learn more about history and because it's such a fun way of learning history rather Mm -hmm. than sitting in a classroom and being taught all of this in a very dry way. I taught history with the fifth graders. That was, I taught American history and I turned it into story every time because you, you are captured by story. Just a bland recital does nothing for us. But when you turn it into story and you make those people that lived it come to life, it really does make an impact. So that's the neatest thing about fiction is that you can give a little bit of that history lesson and still make it enjoyable and fun. And so is that why you write fiction is to to make history come alive and to make it fun and to encase lessons in story? 
In part, yeah. I mean, there is something about story that just captures the heart. It can impact us. It, and what I love the most about it is it lets us see the world through someone else's eyes. You know, we, we all have our own eyes. We all have our own viewpoints. But when you're reading fiction and you're in someone else's head, you're seeing the world through someone else's perspective. And I just really think that builds understanding. I think it builds compassion. And, and really, it goes deeper than compassion sometimes. It, it will build empathy. I think that's important for us to learn. Yes, for sure. The characters in this book, from Ava to Gil to her parents to the townspeople and other secondary characters, they are all so rich so relatable, even the ones that we sort of love to hate a little bit, if you want to put it just a little. Way, just a little. They're so real and vibrant. How do you go about creating such characters for your books? You know, I wish I had a simplistic answer for that. I think part of it is that they're just so real to me. And unless you are a writer, you know, if you have people in your head and you're not a writer, they want to put you away for it. Right. But when you're a writer and you have people in your head, you make it work for you. And I just, I know these people. I, I know what they want. I know why it's important to them. I know the things that are standing in their way. And so when I have that rich character in my head, it's just translates to the page better. I think if that, that probably doesn't answer it very well, but I don't know how to explain it any other way. They're real to me. And so I hope that means they come across as real to the reader. They certainly do. You do a beautiful job of translating what's in your head onto the page. That's for sure. I appreciate that. Do you have to spend some time, though, sitting down and getting to know these characters better? And do you write sort of character sketches or journal entries or anything like that to get to know them? Well, I do something real simple when I'm just starting out, kind of getting to know them. It's called a goal motivation conflict chart, you know, Mm -hmm. and I look at it from the three different dimensions, the emotional, the physical and the spiritual. What does the character want? Why is it so important for them to grab that? What are the things that are keeping them from attaining their goals? And so I have that in my head when I start. I'm very much character-driven. I'm not plot-driven. I cannot write a synopsis to save my soul. Um, I'm just so seat of the pants. But having that information, knowing what my characters want and what they're going after, guides my plot and it keeps them moving forward. And I think that's how I'm able to write a story without having a synopsis. And it, you know what? It's really fun to sit down and write every day because I don't know where we're going. I'm just following them. I'm basically the transcriber, as crazy as that sounds. But I think anyone else who writes Seat of the Pants can kind of relate to that. It, it is exciting because I just don't know what's going to happen when I sit down that day. So it's like, okay, guys, I'm here. Let's go. <laughs> I totally, totally get that because I am complete seat of the pants as well. Okay. And kindred spirit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that to me is the fun part, man. If I had to sit and write off of a synopsis or something like that, oh, it yeah. would kill me. And I think my publisher knows me well enough now to know, 
okay, so this is what Liz is pitching to us, but we know it's going to be similar, but not exactly what she's sent us. So, (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's nice to have that trust, isn't it? It is. It is very much so. There is a lot of music, as you sort of mentioned earlier in this book. Gil is the conductor and he is part of the, he's the conductor for this men's band. And then he starts this boys band. And there are some really beautiful quotes throughout the book about music. And you mentioned how your family members got together and and wrote that song for the book. Are you musical in any way yourself? Well, when I was in high school, I played in the band. I sang in the the choir and the the select choir. I, I play piano. I'm not as gifted as a pianist as my brother. He is just incredible. I I tease my parents every now and then, you're supposed to give all the good stuff to the firstborn, not save it up for the secondborn. But I'm just so proud of him and, and what he does with his music. He's actually conducted several times by invitation in Carnegie Hall. So I think that lets us know that he does, he has several musical pieces that have been published. So I take a, a back seat to him. I do enjoy singing as I've gotten older. I'm When my hearing has failed, it's harder for me to sing. And boy, do I miss it. Because mm-hmm. that's so much a part of my childhood. I really do think that there are a lot of very talented musicians within the Mennonite population. I don't really know why. I think it's just a gene that's gotten passed down. Because I know a, a lot of people that are have Mennonite background that are just very gifted musically. I definitely have had that in my past. And the older I get, the harder it is to do. But it's still a part of me. I just, I love it. Music speaks. It, oh, it yeah. just, and it connects people. You know, when you're in a church service and people are singing in four-part harmony and you're adding your voice to that, that's special. There's just something really heart-moving about being part of, of a choir or a chorus or a group, a congregation, all joining your voices or your instruments, as the case may be, to create something together. Oh, I agree so much. I love what you said there at the end about being part of a congregation, raising up your voices. We had a very dear woman who had been part of our congregation for well over 40 years, probably close to 50 years now. And she had the most beautiful voice and she passed away recently, Aww. but at her funeral, we sang it as well with my soul. And just Aww. to hear the back and forth. And like you said, the harmony for it, it was just. Well, I'm breaking out um, cold chills thinking about it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what the angel choirs are going to sound like. I'm convinced of it. <laughs> oh, I am too. For sure. <laughs> now, There are a few words scattered throughout the book that are in the, and you'll probably have to correct my pronunciation of this, this, the Plautdeutsch language. You were very close. Um, Plautdeutsch. Plautdeutsch. Depending on who you're talking to. But yeah, you you were very close. Good job. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about that language and where its origins come from? Well, it's because these Mennonites started out in Germany. And then they went into Russia and they lived in these little villages. The language is, you know, it's ever changing. And so the the formal German was always used in church, but in the homes, the language kind of morphed into something a little bit more relaxed. If you 
Russian words would creep in. And it seemed like every little village kind of developed their own vernacular for the plot, Plautdeutsch or Plautdeutsch. We called it Plautdeutsch when we were growing up language. But it's basically a blend of German and Russian and then just some little strange things that, that crept in. When I went to bed every night, my whole growing up, my mother would poke her head in the door and tell me schlop dizont, which is sleep well. You won't find that in the German dictionary. You won't find it in the Russian dictionary. But if you were raised in the Mennonite church, you might be familiar with it. So it, it was, it's fun. It's a, it's a dying language. Some people don't even call it a language. They call it more of a translation or a dialect. But I do enjoy using it from time to time in the stories because people who know it get real excited when they see it. And people who don't know it then are exposed to something that they've never seen before. And and I think that's fun from both angles. Going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, as I was reading the reviews of Still My Forever, and I would have to agree with this, your book's are just so heartwarming. This one is, and so many of your others, I think you could call them heartwarming. When you started off writing, is that what you had in mind for your books, that you wanted to write these heartwarming stories? Yeah, I was a fan of Jeanette Oak and Catherine Marshall. And when I would read their stories, they moved me. There was always something that just reached me. And that's what I wanted to do for readers. I also <laughs> made a commitment that I would never write anything that would embarrass my mother or that I would be embarrassed for my children or my students, former students, to read. I wanted to write things that could be shared across the generations without concerns. So, yeah, I, that was deliberate, intentional, and I'm glad that it, it translates. Because, you know, quite often we, we want to try, kind of like Gil with his music, he wanted to move people with his music, but they just weren't responding the way that he thought that they should. So it's nice to know that God's taking the efforts and he is using them to, to touch hearts, perhaps, because that's certainly what I want to do. I think you were very successful in that. And it's so wonderful just to read a beautiful, heartwarming, yeah, For that's just the most perfect word to describe your books is heartwarming. So to know to be able to pick up something that you're just going to be able to thoroughly enjoy and is going to leave you with the warmest, best feeling is something that's really nice to have sometimes for sure. Thank you. You just made my day. <laughs> now, I read, I think, on your bio somewhere that you will continue writing until the Lord tells you to stop or until you go to glory. So that <laughs> must mean you have something else up your sleeve. I'm hoping that's what it means. Well, you know, it's funny because my husband is a few years older than me, and he has already retired. And book number 60 comes out next summer. And we're just finishing up the line edits on it right now. And so, you know, I'm at the tail end of that number 60. And I think, you know, that's a pretty good run. Is that a good place for me to stop and, and say I'm retired? And 
my husband and I took a little mini vacation last week. I've always wanted to go to Winterset, Iowa, John Wayne's <laughs> museum. I'm, yeah, I'm a diehard John Wayne fan. There are some people that go, who's that? And I just think, what is wrong with you? But anyway, <laughs> one of the things that I really wanted to do on this little vacation was just to kind of relax, let my brain relax a little bit and be open to, to God's leading. And while we were on this vacation, ideas for four different story possibilities made themselves known to me and just got my little heart a fluttering. So <laughs> I I don't think I'm done. <laughs> I think <laughs> we're we're gonna keep we're gonna keep going. As long as he gives me ideas, I just want to pursue them because and I think you can relate to this too. If God gives you an idea, there's a reason for it, whether for yourself or somebody else. And we're wise when we do what he calls us to do. So yeah, I think Kim's going to do a little bit more writing. <laughs> oh, good. Now you just made the day of everybody who was listening. <laughs> so thank you. We're glad to hear it. If listeners would like to connect with you so that they can keep up with you in the new books that you have coming out, how can they connect with you? Well, like we all do, I do have a website, just kimvogelsawyer.com. I'm probably the most active on Facebook. I do have a Twitter account, but I kind of forget to go over there. <laughs> but I really enjoy interacting with readers on Facebook. So you can just look for me there, Kim Vogel Sawyer, comma, author slash speaker. And always happy to to talk with people there. And I, I like sharing a bit, you know, about my grandkids and my cats and coffee and Operation Christmas Child. So it's, it's not all wrapped around my books, but we certainly discussed that too. Fun, fun. Do you have any last words for the listeners? Just thank you so much for being a faithful reader. I mean, honestly, if all this time that I spend sitting at the computer, you know, bringing these people to life would be meaningless if somebody didn't pick up the books and read them. So just thank you so much for being part of my world. I appreciate readers. I really do. Well, and thank you so much for taking time out of your hectic schedule today to talk to us. We really have appreciated it. It was so much fun, and we will be sure to have you back next year when the next one comes out. We're looking forward to that one already. Oh, thank you. I'd love to come back. This was fun. Thank you. Well, that was a wonderful visit with Kim Vogel-Sawyer. She is just a wonderful lady, and her book is classic Christian historical fiction. If you're looking for a wonderful, feel-good read, what the bedrock of Christian fiction was built on, this is the book for you, and I highly recommend it. I will have a link to the book in the show notes on my website, which is liztolsma.com. I will also have more information about the book and more information about Kim. So please stop over there and check that out. While you're there, also consider becoming a patron of Christian Historical Fiction and help support us in our mission in getting out the word about great Christian historical fiction. Next week on the show, I am so thrilled to welcome my agent, Tamala Hancock-Murray. Now, for those of you who are writers, you're probably pretty excited to be hearing from Tamala. But even for readers, this show is geared for you. So you'll want to tune into it. 
we're going to be talking about trends in Christian historical fiction. As an agent, Tamala really has her finger on the pulse of Christian fiction, what's selling, what's not selling, what you, the readers, are liking right now, what you're not liking right now, what we're seeing in the market, what has staying power. We talk about all of that, a really interesting behind-the-scenes look at how books are determined and how publishers figure out what books to buy from writers and to put out on the market for you, the readers. So please join me and Tamala Hancock-Murray next week for that conversation. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you spreading the word about Christian historical fiction talk. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a great week and we will see you next time. 